You know, today marks a very significant week in the life of our faith. From Sunday to Sunday, Palm Sunday, which is today, where Jesus entered Jerusalem with his final mission. And when he entered Jerusalem, the Jewish people shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They anointed him as king. But just a few days later, their shouts of Hosanna would change completely to shouts of crucify him, crucify him, which led to Friday where he would surrender his life. And that video that you just saw in Jerusalem in the Garden of Gethsemane is the week that we're living in. It's Thursday, Thursday when Jesus shared that meal, his final meal with his disciples where he would go to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would be arrested to Friday where he would give up his life. And what we notice in this storyline of Jesus' life is he gladly and willingly walked down the road of suffering. The path that he chose was painful and difficult, and yet he chose it anyway. And it makes us wonder, why? Why would anybody do this? Was Jesus just having a, a bad day, making a poor choice? But the reality is, is I think at some level we can relate to Jesus. Because we choose painful paths that have purpose. I, th I think of all, all of you ladies who have experienced the, the, the nine months of pregnancy and the birthing of a child, right? The, the, the journey, I watched my wife three times go through the, the, the cruelty and the hardship of, of a pregnancy, the sickness, the long journey, and then the pain of delivering a child. But if you asked her over and over again, would she do it again? Yes, because there was purpose to that pain. For many of you who are runners, who one day might run a marathon, right? The grueling, painful training process, the injuries you have to endure, the, the miles you have to run, but when you cross that finish line, all that pain had a purpose. For some of us who have gone to school for many, many years to get that doctor's job or that surgeon's job or whatever career it is that you did, that grueling years, 10 years of, of, of school and residency came at a cost, but it was worth it because there was purpose behind it. And what we have to see in Jesus' life is Jesus knew that there was a purpose in his surrender. Jesus knew that this mission that he would have to walk through and suffer for had a purpose. The greatest purpose was he was fulfilling what his father called him to do. He was living in obedience to his dad. And I love the Garden of Gethsemane in Jesus' life because we get to see God in human flesh. We see his vulnerability. In fact, look what it says. It says, going a little farther, he fell to the ground and he prayed. That if it's possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. You see, here Jesus in his humanity, he's like, I, I don't want to walk down this road. I don't want to deal with the, the pain and the suffering, but God, whatever you have for me, I'll follow and one thing I don't want us to miss behind this passage is the fact that Jesus had to choose the cross. Jesus had to make that choice, right? There was, there was no other way. 
And one thing that we often miss is that Jesus had to choose the cross because no one could kill Jesus. The truth is, is that Jesus is, is like us as a human, but he's very different from us. He's fully human, yet fully God. And being fully God, no weapon, no power of Rome could take the life of Jesus. He had to willingly surrender it. He had to lay it down. In fact, look what John 10 says. It says that very thing. It says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So Jesus had to choose this path because no weapon, no person could take the life of Jesus. He had to willingly surrender it. And the reason why he surrendered his life is because of the purpose it came for you and I. That through his cross and his resurrection, Jesus frees us from the bondage and the slavery of sin. That through his cross and his resurrection, Jesus can radically change our now and our forever. But it leads us as Christ followers to a question. If Jesus willingly surrendered his life, what does that mean for my life and your life? What does it even mean to walk down the path of surrender? Because we're, we're called Christ followers. If we placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are a Christ follower. And if we're supposed to follow Christ, does that mean we walk down the same paths of Christ? What does that look like to walk down the path of surrender? Well, I believe Hebrews 12 gives us an indication of that. It's the verse you saw at the end. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Listen to these words. For the joy. Think about that. The joy set before him, Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. And so what Hebrews 12 does is it teaches us the path of surrender, the path that Jesus took, and it outlines three things, three steps that we need to take. The first one, it says, throw off any hindrance. Anything that is getting in the way, slowing you down from running the race of Christianity, of following Jesus more fully, the, the Bible says to throw that off, to get rid of it in your life. Let me put it to you like this. Let's say you have a friend who loves to run, and they decide they're going to run a marathon, and so they invite you to take part in that marathon, not by running, but by watching the race and cheering them on. And so you decide, hey, I've never been to a marathon, sounds like a, a great opportunity to go, and so you go to that race, you find yourself around mile five, you feel like it's a pretty good distance, you get to see your friend soon enough and encourage them for the rest of the race. 
And so as the race begins, you, you see all the fast runners kind of running by mile for marker five pretty quickly. They're in their gear. They've got their running shoes on. They've got all the water and snacks you could possibly imagine. And they're zooming. And eventually, about the middle of the pack, your friend makes it to mile five. You cheer them on. You're like, yeah, go. Let's do this. woo And for some reason, you, you decide to say, hey, I'm going to hang around and just see everybody else keep running. And you get towards the end of the pack kind of the last couple runners, and you see something a little bit odd, something crazy. As you watch one of the runners who's wearing work boots and has weights around his body, and you think to yourself, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And you're like, I wonder if that person will actually finish the race. I wonder if they'll cross the finish line. Think of that picture of someone running in work boots with weights around them on a marathon. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And do you realize that that's how many Christians run the race of Christianity? We wear things that hinder us from walking with God. We allow sin into our life that become the work boots. We're really supposed to be running shoes. And Hebrews 12 says, hey, stop that. It doesn't make any sense. Throw off anything that will slow you down, keeping you from fully submitting to God. And it it puts things into two categories. It says the sin that easily entangles you, that's the obvious category. We should know as we follow with Christ, right? Sin is going to hinder us from following Jesus. Sin like lust or greed or lies or cheating or the way we speak with our mouth or the idols we worship more than God. It's obvious to us that those things are going to get in the way of us running and persevering. But there's another category there that I think we often miss. Hebrews 12 says anything that hinders you. Because there are things in your life today that aren't sinful, but they are hindering you from walking with Jesus better. Things like friendships, things like social media consumption, things like the entertainment that you watch or the the, the hours that you spent at work, right? These are not bad things, sinful things, but sometimes in our life, they become a detriment to us walking down the path. And Hebrews 12 tells us if it's sin or it's hindering you, throw it off, get rid of it. So can I ask you? What do you need to throw off? As you walk with Jesus, what are the work boots that you're wearing? What are the weights around your shoulders and your waist that are slowing you down in the race of Christianity? Throw them off. It's the first step of surrender. The second is the the scriptures teach us to run with perseverance or endurance. That this is a lifelong race, not a sprint, and we must learn to pace ourselves. We must learn to endure the hardships. I'm not sure where this happened or what time this happened, but the church in general, Christians in general, have bought a lie. And it's the lie of prosperity. That we've been convinced by poor teachers that when you follow Jesus, you place your faith and trust in Jesus, he guarantees you a life, a path of smoothness, of beautiful weather, a life that is comfortable and easy. And I know why we buy that lie, because it sounds really good. It's the life that we really want for ourselves. But if you study Jesus' life and the path that he walked down, there was a lot of bumps and hurdles in the journey. There was a lot of pain and turmoil. And why would we think that we get to walk down a different road? 
If we're truly following Christ, shouldn't we expect the same road he had? Too many Christians think living for Christ is going to be easy and comfortable. And if it is, it might be for a season. But if your life is always comfortable and easy, you might want to ask, are you truly following Christ? And one of the ways that we endure this race, we persevere through the trials and the tribulation, is you don't run alone. But you don't run alone. One of the greatest problems Christians run is they isolate themselves in hard times, and it alienates you from the people you need to help you keep running the race. This is why, as a church, we constantly challenge you to get outside the rows of Sunday and into the circles on Monday and Tuesday and into the homes and relationships with people. Because here's what I know about a race. There's going to come a moment in your life, the race of your life, where you're going to want to give up, where you're going to want to throw in the towel, where you have an injury, and you're going to need friends who will say, we will run with you. We will carry you until you can heal and run the race on your own. And that's why we love community groups. And if you're here and you're new to our church and you're not in a group, we're going to tell you that until you get tired of hearing it. In fact, if you're new and you want to jump in, we're starting a brand new trimester. You can just simply go to iwant.info. It's a simple website. There's a banner there that says community groups. You click on that. You give us your information. We'll help you find the right group for you so you don't have to run alone, so you can persevere. Because here's the reality, as we run this race of life, as we try and attempt to follow Jesus, there's going to come moments in all of our lives where we fail, where we fall short of God's standard. The disciples are a beautiful picture of this. They, they, they failed regularly following Jesus. Look, we see it in the garden. It says, he returned to his disciples and he finds them sleeping. Jesus says, Simon, are, are you really asleep? Could you, you couldn't keep watch for one hour. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that flesh, that word flesh, it's talking about our sinful nature. We are prone to wander from the path Jesus outlines for us. And when we do, when we fail, because you will, here's the good news for all of us. That when we fail, the grace of Jesus picks us back up. The grace of Jesus covers your failures. It doesn't give you an excuse to keep walking down that path, but it picks you up and says, endure, run again, keep going. And so we throw off any hindrance. We run with perseverance, but most importantly, we must learn to fix our gaze. We need to learn to focus on the right thing and have the right perspective. You see, the first two steps are very practical in nature, but you will never accomplish the first two steps if you're looking in the wrong places. You see, Hebrews chapter 12 reminds us that we gotta stop looking at our circumstances. We have to stop looking at our flaws and our inadequacies and our insecurities. We have to stop looking at the world for acceptance. And we need to start fixing our gaze on Jesus. Look what it says. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he is the one who made the path. He perfected it. It says, consider him who endured such opposition. Why would we consider him? So that when we are tired and weary, we would not lose heart. Think about last series for a second. 
We talked about faith, and one of the most pinnacle moments of faith for humanity was Peter walking on water. And what happened to Peter? The moment he took his eyes off of Jesus, he failed. He fell. That's what this whole series is about. Getting your heart and your mind and your soul to gaze on Jesus. And one of the best ways we do that is by remembering what he accomplished for us through his cross and his resurrection. In fact, in the video, you saw the location of where Jesus sat with his disciples and passed out the communion elements, where he reminded them, guys, my body is gonna be broken for you, and my blood is gonna be shed for you. Today, as we approach Good Friday, where we celebrate the cross, we want to remember it. We want to gaze on Jesus. So let me tell you a couple things about communion before we partake in it. One, it's for believers. It's for those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because the truth is, is you can't really truly understand the blood and the body if it doesn't have purpose over you. And so if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, this isn't for you. But it can be. Because you can confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he went to the cross to pay for your sin, a penalty you couldn't overcome, and you just transfer your trust of your life in you to him. And you can participate in communion. But as Christ followers, this is also a chance for us to like, look at our lives. This isn't traditional, guys. This is not something the church just does. This is a chance for us to look at our lives, the race that we're running, and say, Jesus, what's keeping me from running down that path? What sin is is entangling me? What weights am I wearing that I need to throw off? And so our band is going to come sing a song called Behold the Lamb, a song of remembrance of the cross. And I would encourage you in this moment over our campuses just to remain seated. And my hope and my prayer is that your mind and your heart and your soul, you would fix your gaze on Jesus.